This week on Glistening Particles, we have Ali Muldrow. You know, we are the guardians of two things that I think are so vibrantly wrapped in kindness, which is we we guard people's right to love whoever they love. Mm -hmm. And we guard people's right to learn. This is Glistening Particles, and I'm Jane, your host. I like to hear inspiring stories from people that I barely know and share them with you, and that's what we do here. I never know how it's going to go. I never know what they're going to say, but it's always a good story. You might be wondering how this show comes to be each week. One part is the generous storytelling from our guests, and the other is from my passion for sharing the stories and supporters who donate to the show on Patreon. If you would like to support the show, it would mean so much to me. To do so, go to glisteningparticles.com and click on the Patreon tab, where you can choose a monthly subscription level to suit yourself. All of this work is a labor of love for me, and I'm honored to bring these stories to the world week after week. Thank you so much for your support. In today's episode, I'm talking with Ali Mudro. She's a parent, partner, writer, instructor, advocate, and doula. She currently works for G-Safe in Wisconsin, which is a nonprofit organization that brings education to all of our schools across the state for LGBTQ youth and people of color, incarcerated youth, and other uh, youth across our state. Her passion is palpable, and you'll find it immediately. With that, here's Ali. Hi, Ali. Welcome to Glistening Particles. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Jane. We should tell the listeners just a little bit about the venue we're in here. This is not the normal venue. Usually I'm at my home office over Skype watching someone on video, and we are in person, which I think is so cool. So I appreciate you coming out for this. No, it's really nice to be here. I'm like, it's a really gorgeous space. There's a tribute to the Beatles. (laughs) That's always a win, right? Yeah. Right. So the reason you're here today is because my brother, Mike, who's I'm a super fan of, said... Me as well. I'm also a big fan of Mike. I think everyone is. He's one of the greats. I know. He said, I really need to talk with you because I know that you've had such an impact on him and his family. And so I wanted to share that part of your story. And I'm talking about G-Safe. And so why don't we start with that? Yeah, so my name is Ali Muldrow. I use she, her, her pronouns. And I started working at G-Safe about five years ago. So I'm going into my my sixth year in January. Um, And when I first started working with G-Safe, I was brought on to teach a course called Foundations of Leadership um, and to work with our Leadership Training Institute, which is our summer camp, and to support the leadership of young people across the state of Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of this 
dream job. And I was at this, I guess, point in in my life where I wasn't sure if education uh, could be utilized to empower young people in the way that I was really passionate about. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had worked in the schools for about seven years prior to working for GSAFE. And so it was this tremendous opportunity to advocate for the dignity of all students and to Mm -hmm. make sure that LGBTQ youth saw themselves in their curriculum and knew that they had the right to learn. And, you know, we are the guardians of two things that I think are so vibrantly wrapped in kindness, which is we we guard people's right to love whoever they love. Mm -hmm. And we guard people's right to learn to to think, to develop, to ask questions, um, to show up in places and want more information. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that getting to spend my life and my time talking about about you know what it means to learn and to encourage the growth right. and leadership of young people um, as well as what it means to love people. Is, is truly an honor. I would say so. I would say that's a pretty amazing job. It's a good gig. Yeah. You know, you had a definite profound impact on my family directly. So my nephew, Harry, I think he went to the leadership camp. Yes. Maybe two years ago. Two, maybe three. Yeah, at UW Dejo. Yeah. And yeah, and was he, a, a rad cohort of, <laughs> of singing, like brilliant young people. You know, I get I get very little time to hang out just with him, you know, but when I do get him in a corner and just talk with him for a while and get to hear his, like, feel his energy and his vibrancy, it gives me such excitement about the future, you know, about what people will do. Because I grew up in an era where I was in a, and uh, my brother would attest to this, like a very um, non-diverse community, a small suburb of a bigger city, and I don't think... I experienced any diversity till I went to middle school, and then I went to the inner city school, and it was an eye-opener. And I grew up with a lot of racial bias in my home. Once I went to the middle school and was in an environment where there were all these different races and all these different people, different walks of life, different financial backgrounds and all this, I would go home and I'm like, why do you talk like this? You know, why is this the, why are these the words that are used around me? And so from even then, at a young age, I knew that this wasn't who I was inside, like this wasn't the way I wanted to be in the world. And I feel like these days people don't have to feel like so lost in that. Yeah, I think for me, you know, we have made tremendous progress. Mm-hmm. And also we have a long way to go. Mm-hmm. And and I think that you can acknowledge both of those things at the same time. And I think it's so like fun to think back to... Uh, Harry at the Leadership Training Institute mm-hmm. and watching this young person explore their identity and build community mm-hmm. uh, with other young activists who wanted to push for a world that is kinder and better. And I mm-hmm. actually had Harry in a, a college course at UW last oh. year because I guest lectured. And so nice. I got to see Harry in like their the adult manifestation right. of Harry and, you know, watching people grow and learn um, is a tremendous opportunity. Mm-hmm. But 
I think I always tell my students, like leadership is an orientation of the the imagination. I have never lived in a world that isn't racist, sexist, homophobic, mm-hmm. promoting poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to imagine that world. We have to dream mm-hmm. of that world in order to in order to accomplish it. And I think looking back at kind of the the great tragedies of other times is one way to do that. I think another way to do that is to look at the great tragedies of this moment. Mm-hmm. And I think what happened in terms of immigration in our community this past weekend in which ICE Mm -hmm. descended upon low-income communities of color and tore families apart and put children on on trial for being on the wrong side of an imaginary line Mm. in a country where, you know, six states have bilingual constitutions and Spanish names and were Mexico, Um, you know, to have, to have, that level of disconnect between people who are colleagues and our neighbors and our students um, is is something that we need to be deeply concerned about. We need to take a lot of responsibility Mm -hmm. for. So, Yeah. Sometimes it's almost overwhelming to figure out where to help, you know, because I don't understand, like I, at the, at that level, I don't understand how these things happen in the country I'm part of. You know what I mean? Like, how is this happening every day? And I don't know where to help. What would you tell people who are in that place? I think when folks don't know what to do, I think that what folks are really struggling with is is the confidence mm-hmm. um, to to combat something as large as systematic oppression. Mm-hmm. And I think that we really have to have a new orientation towards fear. So our our relationship with fear is really to retreat mm-hmm. um, and and to protect ourselves. And and I think we have to start thinking about fear as our only opportunity to be brave. Mm. That's the only chance you get to be courageous is when something is hard. Right. Um, and, and we talk about things like gun control and we say, oh, it's so deeply entrenched in our society, it'd be really hard to change. Right. But we went to war to end slavery and some things are worth fighting for. Right. You know, little kids had to be marched into their schools by the National Guard in order to integrate education, but it was the right thing to do. Right. So we move the mountain because the mountain must be moved. And I think there are all kinds of things to do. I think the mom that reads, you know, I am jazz and tells her kid Mm -hmm. that trans girls are girls and Mm -hmm. are children and deserve to be honored in their identity. Mm -hmm. I think she's doing something that helps the world be a better place. Mm -hmm. And I think the person who shows up to the protest and donates uh, to the campaign Mm -hmm. that is going to make sure LGBTQ people are respected within their full dignity. Uh, is is doing what they can. So I think we all have to do what we can. I mm-hmm. think that looks a lot of different ways. Um, but I think hoping that somebody else shows up uh, right. isn't an option in this current moment. And I right. think uh, showing up is is how we love each other right now. You know, and I totally hear what you're saying. By the way, you're so eloquent in the way that you speak and and tell these stories. Like the thing... I don't know if it's fear as much that's in me. It's more of, um, I don't know how to do something big without letting go of everything in my life. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I want to go be with the kids that are in the detention that right now, the immigrants that have been, the babies that have been taken away from their parents. I want to bring them to me and care for them. But it's like, I, I don't know how to do that in the context of life. And that's the thing I struggle. It's like this inner struggle. Like I feel the pull so strong, 
but I'm, I, I guess that's the fear of letting go what I know. Yeah, but part of, I think, thinking about how to truly transform our society decentralizes anyone's help. Mm -hmm. So it's not about, you know, what you want to do or what you want to give. It's what you can do and what you can Mm -hmm. give. And it's also about whose lead you should be following. Mm -hmm. So I I worked with a public health organization a few years ago, and they were giving low-income communities of color bike helmets. Uh Uh-huh. And they were really proud of the project. They were really excited to Mm -hmm. distribute the safety wear. And they got into those neighborhoods a few months afterwards to see how it was going. If Mm -hmm. the kids were using the helmets, if, you know, the helmets were preventing injuries. Um, And they noticed in one neighborhood that the kids had put the helmets on the trees. And they asked the kids... Hey, why like uh-huh. why aren't you using the helmets? And the kid said, "Well, we don't have bikes." Uh-huh. And the researcher said, "Well, no, it's totally okay. You can you should wear the helmets like when you have your rollerblades or your scooters out." Mm-hmm. And the kid said, "We don't have rollerblades or scooters." Mm. You know, so a kid who's been separated from their family uh-huh. doesn't want somebody to be really nice and swoop in and take care of them. They right. want their family back. Right. And I think what we need to do is listen to the communities that are impacted by mm-hmm. issues um, and, and, and follow their lead. And do I think that's right one thing. of the most important right. things we can do is look to leaders in movements mm-hmm. who are, you know, doing this work long term. Right. Um, of course, it's great if you're like, my church can do a blanket drive. Right. Like, I hate that those kids are sleeping under tinfoils, but a kid who wants their mom wants their mom, wants their mom yeah. not a blanket. Um, and so I think we, we need to, to be really, uh, really honest with ourselves Mm -hmm. about what, what pulls us forward, what motivates Mm -hmm. us to behave the way we do. I got a question actually, that was really specific to fear, uh, recently where somebody asked if I believed that white folks had been conditioned to be afraid of people of color. And I said, no, Mm -hmm. I think white folks have been conditioned to say that they're afraid of people Mm -hmm. of color when they mistreat people of color, because that is a believable excuse. But I went to the Willie street co-op a few years ago with my two kids. I was like, you know, I'm a mom. I was like hanging on for dear life. I've got these kids in the cart. They're Uh both like shirtless and sticky. And I'm just trying to like (laughs) grab snacks and get out. And I'm drinking my smoothie. I'm in line behind another Mm -hmm. woman. And the cashier doesn't even finish checking out the other woman before she turns to me and goes, hey, you can't buy that smoothie with your card. And I said, why not? And she said, you can't buy a smoothie with food stamps. What? And I said, this is a Summit Credit Union credit card. And she said, oh my gosh, it's the same color as the food stamp card. And I said, oh, sweetie, like I've been black too long for you to make this about the color of the card. But she didn't tell me I couldn't afford a smoothie because she was afraid of me. Right. Racism is not an irrational fear of black people. Mm -hmm. It's an irrational hatred of black people. I can't even fathom that. Like I can't even fathom that. How did you, like, how did you handle that situation? Well, you know, it was one of those profoundly human moments because here I am with my kids. I feel like hurt. She's actually not even done checking out the person in front of me. So she's still checking somebody else. So this is happening in a very public way. Um, And I thought, you know, I could go up to the counter and complain about her. Um, I could try to like talk to her or I could just make it through my day. I could just drink my smoothie. She knew 
what right. had happened. She was completely right. mortified. Um, and I thought, you know, I'm going to let her. Right. Sit in it. I'm going to let her take responsibility for mm-hmm. herself. I'm right. not going to be her teacher right now, you know? Right. And I, I think that moment was such, such a fascinating moment to me. And it's something that I have gone back to right. over and over again, because there's so many manifestations of things like that within right. my life and within the life of so many people. And the problem with those moments, when you string them together, is that they turn into something bigger. Mm-hmm. They ca- turn into this constant uh, picking away at your joy. Like a cheese grater. You know, you know and, yeah. and this constant orchestrated effort by many, many people to tell you that you don't belong right. in any place that is good. Um, yeah. that's this- horrible. And I'm reflecting on it because I, I have no obvious, I'm not, I'm not black. I don't have that experience, but I have a different experience of being sort of shunned from society, from being really overweight before. And people just ignore me. Like I'm invisible, you know, or I'm not, I don't belong at the gym. I don't belong at this place. I don't belong at that place. Different thing. Not, I'm not trying to compare it as apples no, to apples. No, it is something that unifies us, right, right? Right, Like if we're really talking about what it means to stand up for LGBTQ right. students, we're talking about what it means to stand up for any student right. who is being left out or right. bullied or humiliated at school. Any student who looks at their textbook and can't find themselves anywhere. Right. You know, and we all know what it feels like to be hurt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we don't talk about this a lot, but racism, sexism, and homophobia, they're about how we treat each other, right. how we harm one another. Right. And I, so I totally understand that, like, it just chips away, chips away, chips away in the smallest ways over and over and over again. Like, I had this huge, huge, like, epiphany this weekend. So, you know, I have Instagram. I, I have it for the show and for myself. And I scroll through and I follow people that all, like, fit these molds of, like, beautiful and this and that. And I'm kind of cautious about it because I don't want to be, like, I... I I'm very, I follow a lot of people who are into fitness because I'm sort of my like focus in, in life right now and trying to get more there. And I started following these two sites. One is called um, New Nude Official. It's a company that makes undergarments for women. And then um, this other one called um, Underneath We're All Women. And they show photographs of women of all shapes and sizes and colors and physical abilities and like that are, you know, in their underwear or whatever. And I realized after seeing those random pictures show up in my feed for the last maybe two or three weeks, all of a sudden I see myself differently because I have someone to identify with that looks like me. Like Mm -hmm. suddenly I get it more of how valuable it is to be able to see in ads and in everyday life and everywhere you go, people that you can identify with. Oh, absolutely. I think when you, when you look at our students, right. And the experiences they have Mm -hmm. white, straight, cisgender men are artists and mathematicians and bankers and architects. They can be anything. They wrote the book and they're the main character. Right. And how many of our students can name, you know, 10 queer women of color who were amazing architects or who contributed in ways that are significant to history or made political advancement. And it's not because they're not there. It's because that's not what we're teaching. And that, that is, is something that has to shift. Um, I mean, in order for us to have a better understanding, in order for us to be more intelligent people. And for them to flourish. Exactly. That's the thing. Like, you look at, like, if I didn't have all these, like, mental tapes in my head about all the things that are wrong, I mean, it it gets better over time. As you get older, I think you get more 
I don't know. It, becomes, it seems like it's less of an issue. It becomes less of a tape. But like if I didn't have all those things that I thought were, here's why I don't count. Sorry about <laughs> that. Okay. I'm like sneezing into a microphone. <laughs> if we didn't have all of that, like imagine like the, the things that I would have, I would do. Right. And so I'm working on like making up for all that lost time. But if we can get people when they're young and have them realize that they are so perfect in who they are and so capable and not even perfect, not the right word, but just beautiful and special and amazing and all yeah, of that and, and who they you are. you have the right to change and you're right. always changing. Right. Right. Like but for you have them the to right get to that. be and to evolve and right. to see yourself as worthy of your every breath and right. all of your happiness. Right. You know, I think uh, we are not trying to create a conflict-free world. We're right. trying to create an abuse-free world. We're trying right. to create a cruelty-free world, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that that's something that's really possible. And one of the things that I think is really interesting about this work or work in education, period, mm -hmm. is that in education, we constantly talk about scarcity. We constantly talk about a lack of resources. And I think that that's a fascinating dialogue in our society, mm -hmm. period, because when it comes time to treat people well, mm -hmm. we don't have enough, right? right? When it comes time to be good to you, to say like, hey, how are you? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't always have enough energy for that, right? right? So we talk about that in terms of like, it takes less energy to be rude to people, right. to ignore people, Which to is be hurtful, right? And right. so that translates to, we always have enough money for the gun. We always have enough money for the bomb. We always right. have enough money for the cop, for the eviction, for the expulsion hearing. Right. But do we have enough money for the arts? Right. Do we have enough money for people's insurance? Do we have enough right. money for quality food and healthcare and housing? Well, well no, because we're too bus busy spending money hurting people to spend money to heal people. Well, and that's the thing. It's like we have to tip the scale back the other way. It's like somehow it's tipping the wrong way. Absolutely. Towards the things that are really all bubbled around negativity and exclusion. And and we have to know what we believe in, right? right? Like when I'm, I'm a prison abolitionist who teaches consent culture, which means I am constantly confronting the reality of sexual assault. And if you are a prison abolitionist who says, I don't want prisons and... I want accountability for people who sexually assault people. What does that look like? And when Barack Turner was arrested mm -hmm. and got three months in jail, it was a profound moment in terms of my ability to reconcile my beliefs because I said, I want him to go to prison longer. And mm -hmm. I said, well, how can you want him to go to prison longer when you don't believe in prisons? Right. And it made me think. I had this whole kind of reconciling uh, like existential crisis in right. terms of what do I really want for the world. Mm -hmm. And I had a friend last year whose, whose brother was killed by a drunk driver and they found the guy who did it and they tried him and they sentenced him to seven years in prison. We as a society will spend right around $700,000 to put that man in prison. Right. And while we spend that money or while we were spending that money, my friend was on Facebook campaigning a GoFundMe for $10,000 so he could bury his brother. Wow. And I thought, if you asked him, would you rather we spend this money to put this guy in a cage and keep him from his family? Right. Or would you rather we give that money to your family? Right. Right. He would have said, write me a check. Right. Exactly. Because at the end of the day, we would all rather help ourselves than hurt somebody else. 
Right. So why? Why is this mm-hmm. the way we channel resources? Why is this the way we think about solving problems? Right. Um, I think, you know, the thing about working with young people is there is so much potential mm-hmm. to treat each other well. Young people, right. when given the opportunity to work together, um, right. to build one another up, to cheer for each other, rise to the occasion every time. I've been in education for the mm-hmm. last 12 years and and kids, you know, I, I get to, you know, exist in this place of awe in mm-hmm. terms of the potential of our children. That's It must just be amazing every time you see that, just to see them light up. I mean, I did a couple of youth things in my day and there's just so much energy around it when they feel empowered and seen and heard. In fact, I was thinking of that. So you have two children, uh, daughters? Yes, I, I have two kiddos, okay. Adrian and Issa. How old are they? They are eight and four. Oh, oh gosh. Uh, I have two boys. They're 24 and almost 17. And one of the things that I think I, you know, you pick up habits from your parents and some of them you're like, I need to shake this habit off because it's not working for me. And one of them is I'm kind of a taskmaster. I'm like, let's do this, then this, then this, then this. And um, I go a lot of directions and sometimes I'm just not there listening for them. Yet all of like my friends' kids or my nieces and nephews, they love to get my attention because I will really pause for them and give them their voice. But for my own, I get too busy. And this last couple of weeks, I've had more time. I've made a conscious um, effort to give them space to speak to me, you know, to give them space to just say whatever they want to say and not to be about the next thing on the list. And it, it just blew my mind. My younger son was trying to explain to me how he feels like there's this, like people are so quick to write off wrongs. It's like, oh, I made a mistake. Let's move on when they hurt other people, but they don't really sit in it. Oh, yes. And he's 17, and he's explaining this to me, and I'm not getting it at first. And he keeps talking. He's like, I don't think you're understanding what I'm saying. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I need to listen to him more. He is so wise. No, this is one of these amazing things. I had a similar moment with my daughter who broke Mm -hmm. something at a friend's house. And she was really sorry, and she Mm -hmm. said she was really sorry, but she just kept crying. Right. And I was like, hey, why are you still crying? And she said, I just... I want to make it right. Mm. And I thought, that is what's missing. We tell everybody, say sorry, move right, on. Right. And we forget that we want to make it right. 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 And he's kind of arguing the other side of it where people just go, yep, oops, I did that and move on when they did something really hurtful. Mm-hmm. And then on, I, there's that's yeah, exactly the same thing. And then trying to have time to like really sit in it is so important. Mm-hmm. You're right. Yeah, these kids, they're going to do amazing things. Well, and parenting is really, you know, I, I, I am a person who works between, you know, 40 and 50 hours mm-hmm. a week, and I love what I do. And, right. and parenting is, is one of those moments in which, you know, all the things that you love really come together. I tell myself in part of my work is part of the reason I do what I do mm-hmm. is because it's how I love my children. Mm-hmm. How I love my children is by standing up for other children, is by making sure that their peers, uh, you know, have somebody in their corner. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of me being in their corner. But, you know, it's so funny because you, you have kids and you tell yourself these things, these like hilarious <laughs> things. They're like, I'm going to do everything my parents did well. And none of the things my parents right. did wrong. And I remember 
telling myself that with my oldest. And then uh, my parents were huge fans of catchphrases. Like they parented like action heroes. And so, um, you know, I grew up in a house where it was like, I made you, I can unmake you was said. And, uh, and I, and it wasn't until I heard my mother's voice like come out of my mouth. You know that that's like super mortifying moment where you're like, oh my god, I, I was at like Target, of course, um, and my three year old Adrian at the time had this tantrum, and I was like, do you want a reason to cry? And I was so terrified. I am not much of a crier. Um, and I struggle to be super in touch with my own emotion because I was raised in a household where crying, mm. um, or sadness was never the solution. Mm-hmm. It wasn't productive. It wasn't, um, like dignified. It was right. like, it was like, get it together. You know, you're four. And <laughs> I, I was like, man, do I want to raise my kid mm-hmm. to be like me in that way? Right. Um, And I decided no, but I was like, I don't know how people who have supportive households around crying do it because I wasn't raised like that. (laughs) Um, And so I got really, I was like, I think of myself as creative and smart. And so I told myself the next time Adrian cries, I'm going to do something that lets her know it's great that she's crying. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, 20 minutes later, she's crying again because she's three. (laughs) And I was like, this is my chance. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God. I got all of her toys and I lined them up in front of her and I said, Adriette, you have to keep crying because your toys only drink your tears and they're all dehydrated. <laughs> and now, you know, I'm a teacher. Right. So I'm like, I get to explain dehydration <laughs> and I get to tell her that her feelings matter at the same time. Like, Winning. Double win, right? And you know, we did that for like a year, and she actually loved it. She'd like <laughs> giggle and try to keep crying, and like bring every tear to her or every toy to her eyes for a drink of tears, and then. You know, she was, she got older. She was like five and she's like, nope, I don't want to play that game anymore. I want to write indie songs alone in my room. (laughs) I was like, that's fine. It's not catching my spirit at all. I was not super attached to that activity. (laughs) And then, you know, a few years went by and her sister was two Mm. and her sister threw herself on the ground to cry. And I was like, Issa, we got to get going, you know, just like managing through the day. And Adrian was like, don't rush her. Her toys only drink her tears. And she ran and lined up her sister's toys in front of her. And I realized, like, she's going to remember that the way I remember, do you want a reason to cry? Isn't that amazing? So I think that, you know, your kids are really this kind of, this testament to both, you know, what stays the same and the traditions that you Mm -hmm. subscribe to and believe to and don't question Mm-hmm. And what changes? And what we learn. The things, the things we learn, the things, the ways that we evolve, mm-hmm. the the ways in which we want more for our kids right. than we want for ourselves, even when it comes to tears. Right. It's, oh, what a great story. What a great story. Yeah, the thing I love that my um, older son remembers are um, rainbows. Whenever he sees a rainbow, he takes a picture and sends it to me. Because <gasps> we used to always, my mom taught me this, always run outside when there's a chance of a rainbow. Go gay pride. I know, right? <laughs> like your family is the best. I know, I know. Absolutely. Actually, last night we were driving down the road, and the sunset, you know, it usually looks like blue and orange and purple. Literally, I took a picture of it, but it never does it justice. Looked like a rainbow. There was even greens and blues and oranges and purples and reds in the sunset. Oh man, the sky last it night blew was me just away. really oh, it was so good. It I've was never so seen good. It, that like, moon was just like everything. Oh, yeah. We're so lucky, you know. 
Oh, so um, one of the things, actually, I wanted to ask you, I don't know if we've ever described it yet, was really what G-Safe is, like what it Yeah, so G-Safe is the Gay Straight Alliance for Safe Schools. We're a 23-year-old organization that works with educators, communities, families. We pass policy, we teach courses, we create learning opportunities for young people. Uh, we advocate for incarcerated students. We av- advocate for undocumented students, for students with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, we are a group of, of small, a small mighty staff uh-huh. of people who care deeply about every young person's right to be treated well at school mm-hmm. and to learn. Um, and, and yeah, we've, we've been doing that for a while. I didn't realize it was that long. That's amazing. Now, are there G-Safe programs in every state or is this unique to Wisconsin? So G-Safe is unique to, to Wisconsin, but there are programs that look similar. So okay. programs like GLSEN, we were originally a GLSEN chapter. Listen. Why didn't you want to be Glisten? Like oh, <laughs> we were we were usually uh, uh, a really like large a part of a really large network of uh-huh. of chapters, and the issues of Wisconsin are very specific to Wisconsin. Wisconsin, in terms of education, is very different than other states. We're mm-hmm. one of two states that doesn't have a statewide board of education that has the Department of Public Instruction. Um, we have a very specific culture throughout mm-hmm. our state. We're a sincerely purple state, mm-hmm. um, and so. We really needed to mobilize local communities. G-Safe is is responsible for supporting over 200 uh, GSAs across the state. So those are student-led groups within Mm -hmm. schools that advocate for LGBTQ students. Uh, We have passed trans-inclusive policy at more than half of the school districts in Mm -hmm. Wisconsin. Um, So there's a lot of work, and Mm -hmm. it's very specific to this community. That's amazing that you're having such an impact across the whole state. Well, I work with great people. So <laughs> shout out to, to Sawyer Johnson and mm-hmm. Brian Jukums, because this is definitely not a one-woman show. Right. Uh, Tim Michael, Amber Sowers, like there, there are so many people who mm-hmm. have brought this work to life and have given their nights and their weekends and, you know, day in and day out fight really hard to to do our to do justice by our young people yeah there's a lot of passion i was looking at your website and reading about everybody over the weekend and there's a lot of passion in that it's just like you can feel it emanating now this is a 501c3 right uh nonprofit. yes is it um is there any state funding for it or is it all through donation so we are about 15 to 20 percent grant funded okay. we are majority uh, the majority of our funding comes from donations so okay. from individual donors and not you know not a few people writing five thousand mm-hmm. dollar checks or ten thousand dollar checks mm-hmm. a lot of people like hundreds and thousands of mm-hmm. people writing checks for 25 bucks or nice. seven bucks a month or you know people who are just you know normal normal folks who right. who want every kid to get a fair shot. Nice. Can you talk about like maybe one of the profound moments of the experience you've had when you've been doing the training, the leadership training? Is there any stories you can share like without giving names or anything obviously? Oh yeah. I I think anytime you you watch a young person realize themselves Mm. for the first time Uh or say, this is the first time I felt really secure and safe Mm. in doing what I wanted to do, but also anytime you watch a young person have this tremendous moment of learning where they're just like, 
they want to know more, you Mm -hmm. know, kids who have stumbled upon great leaders throughout history and all of a sudden become experts on somebody like James Baldwin Mm -hmm. is a pretty fantastic opportunity. But my favorite moment is probably uh, because I teach consent. I had two students on the last day of, of camp once um, sit down next to each other. And one student said to the other student, can I hold your hand? And the student said, why do you want to hold my hand? Because mm-hmm. questioning is a part of informed consent. Oh. And the student said, I'm just going to miss you a lot. Oh. And I thought, oh, they're a goner. It's, it's hand-holding time. <laughs> and the student said, how long do you want to hold my hand? Oh. And the other student said, just until our hands get like sweaty or sticky, we should probably <laughs> check in. And I thought, that is such a small thing. Mm-hmm. But they knew that they had the right to to talk about it, to right. know that they wanted to be comfortable, to advocate mm-hmm. for themselves, and to come to a clear understanding about how they wanted to hold hands. And right. it gave them the opportunity to say things to each other like, I'm really going to miss you. Right. Oh, that's beautiful. And so I felt like I had done my job. Right. Is, now, is consent ju- uh, for any students, or is that specifically for LGBTQ? So I teach consent culture to educators, to professionals. Okay. And uh, when I was starting to craft the curriculum for Foundations of Leadership, which is the course I teach at the University of Wisconsin, which pulls uh, students from the entire Madison Public School District mm-hmm. um, to take a course for advanced learners in the areas of leadership, but the mm-hmm. course is based in the experiences of LGBTQ youth okay. of color. Okay. And so when I sat down to craft that curriculum, um, I pulled you know, Audre Lorde and James Baldwin and Bayard Rustin and folks who are black and queer and had been part of the civil rights movement because that spoke to me on a generational level and on an identity level. And I looked at the curriculum Mm -hmm. about two days before the class started and I said, what happens if a kid comes in and they identify as trans Mm -hmm. and Hmong Mm -hmm. and undocumented? Well, they won't see themselves Mm -hmm. in this curriculum. Hmm. And so I created this list, Mm -hmm. um, which was a list of what sexism, homophobia, and racism have in common. Uh And when I got to the end of the list, it boiled down to two things, Mm -hmm. entitlement and abuse. And I thought, Mm -hmm. what is the opposite of entitlement and abuse? And it's consent. And so consent culture is one, a way of talking about safe sex and sex ed and exploring gender identity. Um, It's also the reason I tell you my pronouns, right? Right. So that you don't feel entitled to make assumptions about me based on looking at me. And so that you know that I'm not going to do that to you. Right. Um, But it's also about making sure that my students know that they are just as powerful as me within navigating their own learning. Mm -hmm. And so for every assignment I give a student or for every activity we do as students, there's always the option Mm -hmm. of making your own assignment, of crafting your own activity, at Mm -hmm. at getting at the learning in a way that works better for you. Um, Because this is about student leadership. So I'm not in charge. The most powerful people in the classroom are the young people. And consent culture in the classroom is a tool that we use uh, to incite that. You know, consent culture, I think, is something that's missing in standard education then. Because I don't think that that's talked about at all. No, it's one of the things that I think is really tragic about education right now is that, you know, I personally believe that we should have K through 12 medically accurate, inclusive sex ed. Um, I think that we should be talking about love and we should be talking about consent 
a lot Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, nobody's tombstone says like, they were really good at balancing their checkbook. Right. You know? Right. Like our lives are about the people we love. Right. And in the end of the day, like all that matters is how we treat the people we love. And and the more we can love people, the better our society can be. You know, Martin Mm -hmm. Luther King said, justice is what love looks like in public. Mm -hmm. Um, So... So those are the conversations we need to be having at school. Right. And and, and, I, and I think that, you know, I feel very lucky to be part of of what drives mm-hmm. our our ability to build capacity towards those conversations, towards having uh, you know, that that approach to learning. You know, when I think about all the kids and people you've impacted, I'm just so grateful that you found your place and what you're supposed to be doing, you know? Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. I have a friend, uh, Pablo, you hear him on the show sometimes that I talk with about crazy things. And we had about a 20 minute talk yesterday and he said, well, let's, um, what do you think is our purpose? I think that our purpose is to keep growing and growing and growing in love until all that exists is love. And that evolution and the changes and the over and over and over again is to get closer to that light until all there is is love. It's like the opposite of war games, that movie back a long time ago where the machine kept playing the game until it blew everybody up. I think we're playing the game again and again and again until we actually make everything as love. It's the mm-hmm. opposite. So that's my philo- my philosophical statement of the day. <laughs> yeah, I've been trying actually to embrace this because I do a lot of speaking and a lot of public speaking. Mm-hmm. And I have tried to embrace this idea that if I'm in a room with people, if I am have in this huge world and all the moments and time that exist, uh-huh. if you and I end up together, uh-huh. then it is for no other reason than we're supposed to love and care about each other. Oh, and so beautiful. no matter how you interact, and I think being a mom makes that really helpful because right. sometimes I'm in a room with people where I'm like, loving you means holding you accountable. Uh-huh. And that is parenting, right? right? Loving you means telling you like, you cannot throw your shoes out the car window, right? <laughs> and that's me loving you right now because you have to like walk places. Yes. And so you need those. right? Um, so love, you know, is not just these like singular romanticized Hollywood right. mo- moments. It's right. also the closeness and the trust um, to be able to to confront mm-hmm. each other when we're doing something wrong. So true. So I was wondering what keeps you up at night? Oh, I think the the things that, you know, I worry about a society that can't tell the difference between the truth and reality TV, and I believe that's mm-hmm. a failure of education. Mm-hmm. I worry about us telling kids that there's one right answer. I worry about kids thinking that they're not smart because they don't have the the energy or desire to fill out a scantron. Uh, What's a scantron? You know, you know where you fill out the little bubbles and you uh-huh. take a standardized test. Oh, right, right. You know, okay. I, I worry that kids think that those sorts of tools mm-hmm. can measure their imaginations and their potential. Yeah. I worry that there are kids in our schools that are lonely all the time. Yes. I worry that there are kids who are being told by their parents that they're mm-hmm. going to go to hell. Oh. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of things that if I, I feel very grateful for my work because I feel mm-hmm. like if I wasn't actively addressing uh, the things that, that, you know, bother me the most, um, that I would, I 
I would feel hopeless, mm -hmm. you know, but I, I work with young people every day who make me think no matter what they've been through, mm -hmm. that liberation is inevitable, right. that the world can be better, that they can, you know, get, get, get their school to change. Right. No get their love. community to change, get know their, it, get their yeah. parents to, to understand better. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think that for every problem we have, we have an incredible amount of potential. Right, right. And you're doing the work. One of my favorite films yeah. is definitely uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, okay. And one of the, the, I think one of the greatest moments in mm -hmm. cinema is when the stars light up and it's God talking to Clarence. Uh -huh. Goosebumps, and, totally. And, and God says, <laughs> you know, Clarence says, well, is George sick? And God says, no worse, he's discouraged. Right. Totally yeah. goosebumps. Look at this. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, we can't, we can't get discouraged right, right now. We really have to think, you know, and I do have those moments where I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so hard to be Ali. We all have those right. days where we're just like, you know, channeling our inner Eeyore. Right. We're just like, everything <laughs> is against me. Uh -huh. And I think on those days, I remind myself that people like Harriet Tubman had to exist. Right. Right. Like she had to make hundreds of trips going back and forth. Mm-hmm getting two or 10 or three people to freedom. She mm -hmm. had to watch her community be brutalized. She had to see her children be sold. That, that was her fight. Um, you know, we don't get to choose the fights that we are born into, but we do get to choose how we fight those fights, how we rise to the occasion, how we meet the challenges that are there for us. And so I think, you know, if I get to speak out about an issue, if I get to teach a kid, if I get to, you know, work with, with people who, who really love uh, the idea of, of a world that is fair and just in which all people get to learn, um, I feel pretty lucky. Right. It's, it's not, I could have been, I could have been born into a harder fight. I'm like, we gotta remember Harriet as often as possible. Yeah, and definitely. I swear when you're feeling sorry for yourself, definitely let yourself think about how Harriet Tubman's feet felt. I'm like, right. definitely tell yourself like step after step, mile right. after mile alone and scared in the dark, Right. trying to find freedom, trying to get other people to freedom. That's a heck of a feeling. And it'll make your, your email a little easier to send. Right. Let's have a little fun at the end. I was wondering if you would want to share three random facts about yourself. Oh, what should the world know about me? Well, one, I'm a huge feminist hip hop fan. Okay. I love Missy Elliott. I uh, mm -hmm. love MIA. I love music and sound. Mm -hmm. um, and I really, I, I dig, I dig dancing. And I believe that is part of my, part of my duty in the movement is uh -huh. to dance, is Aww. to move, is to, mm -hmm. is to live well. Um, and, and is to make sure I am healthy enough to, to stick around and, and long after it's all said and done, tell nice. the story. Uh, two, I like to imagine myself as a little golden girl. I like to imagine myself as like a very old lady. Um, <laughs> it's one of the things that, that makes me feel really like, uh, really worthwhile and all that uh -huh. my I do is I know that when I'm a grandmother I'm gonna ask that I be called Bama <laughs> and and I want my my great-grandchildren to sit on my lap and I want them to say Bama 
tell me about what it was like when you were young. And I will say when I was young, you know, we had schools that didn't allow everybody to learn based on the color of their skin. And me and the people that I love got together and we don't do it like that anymore. Um, and so that is one of one of the my, one of my projected memories into the future. <laughs> that is is That's my thing. That's the fave. way you do it. I I'm, love that. I'm also I'm like, <laughs> as, if you can't tell, I'm a sci fi fan. Um, I did not know that. I am a sci-fi fan, so wholeheartedly. Uh, Star Wars or Star Trek? Uh, ooh, ooh, that's so tough. <laughs> you know, and I really do have to say Trek, and I really have to say oh, Voyager, no. <laughs> and it's because I feel that the the captain, the first female captain, when she came on, and they said, "Do I call you, ma'am, or uh, do I call you?" You know, and she oh, said, "She said, yeah. call me." captain <laughs> and i thought yes queen like playing no games and just confronting gender and no they're i'm like there's so many beautiful metaphors within both of those but that's the that's the moment i go to oh, and i wow. guess third fun fact about me i was born in 1987 the year of thriller and the year of the rabbit saint <laughs> mary's hospital um i think the, the year in which you were born is important and time and place. Mm -hmm. I, I'm a fan of astrology, so I consider myself a Taurus. Um, is that in the sun sign or moon sign? That's my sun sign. Okay. My moon sign is Scorpio. Okay. My rising is Libra, so I'm charming. <laughs> um, I picked up on that without knowing all of that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think like I like sci-fi and I like play and... Uh, you know, the great thing about my work is I could, I could almost take myself too seriously. Mm -hmm. But I'm very fortunate because I have, you know, two small children. And if there's anybody who lets you know that you really can never be taken that seriously, <laughs> it's like a four-year-old. Like the other day, right. I told my four-year-old, like, it's time to lay down. And she was like, you know what, mom? I don't like it when you tell me to lay down. <laughs> and I was like, Isa, like, what would you like me to say to you? Mm -hmm. And she was like, I'd like you to say, Isa come read a story with me. <laughs> and I said, all right, babe, I got you. Come read a story with me. <laughs> um, and that, you know, I, I, it, it is the fact that I live a really beautiful life that mm -hmm. allows me to do the work that I do. So I'm a very, very grateful person. That's, and that's something people should know about me. I like that one too. It sounds like you have all the right um, techniques for replenishing yourself because it's hard work. It is hard work. Dancing, laying down to read a book, all those good things. You know, I'm trying to get better and better at it. <laughs> Boundaries are my jam. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to oh, make yeah. sure that I am the, the guardian of, of my own joy, that mm. I, you know, I'm not running on empty and that I know that I have an abundance of, of good mm -hmm. and therefore can, can distribute that. I don't know. I really have to thank Mike. I'm probably going to owe him big time for introducing us because this has been such a pleasure talking oh, with you. Thank and I you hope very much. that we can do more together. I'll, I'll talk with you after the show about a couple ideas. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Um, thank you for having me. This was yeah. really sweet. Oh, it's been great. And actually, you know, you said your parents do catchphrases. I think you have some, but they're a lot more positive than the ones your parents were laying down. <laughs> no, my mom is always <laughs> like, you know, you really just pick your stories so annoyingly, <laughs> you know? And then one time, and like, and I do, I'm like, I give them credit too because they're 
amazing people and uh, I would not be who I am without them. Right. Um, but I quoted my dad once on Mother's Day and my mom was like, there's four <laughs> kids in the family. You are the fourth favorite. <laughs> like, <laughs> did you just quote your father on Mother's Day? Because I definitely gave birth to you. I'm like, you know, so she's she's like, I, I'll sometimes talk about us being, you know, us being like a low income family. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom will be like, you had stuff. Like, <laughs> stop. You're not that poor. <laughs> like, I'm like, I know, but uh, you know, you want to like relatable. Yeah. Well, and I'm like, and there, there's, there's truth in terms of the systems that we interacted with right. and nobody wants to be portrayed within, within their flawed, within yeah, their flawed right. moments or their flawed, flawed thinking. And so right. my parents are very generous because they continue to love me, even though I talk about them publicly. <laughs> Yeah, that's a tough one. Hopefully Mike will continue after this, but usually it's all good. So so where can people find you and G-Safe? What's the, what's yeah, the website? Yeah, so you can go to www.gsafe.org. You can find us on Facebook. You can find me on the gram. Um, I am very active uh-huh. on Facebook and the gram. Twitter less frequently, but like from time to time, I'm going to check in with the world of Twitter. <laughs> um, and you can find... G safe on social media as well. So we, okay. you can donate to us on Facebook. You can donate to okay. us via our website. You can also read about what we're doing in the community online. Um, and, and if you want to learn more, my email is Ali at G safe, W I dot O R G. Uh, the G safe phone number is six zero eight, uh, six, six, one, four, one, four, one. Um, and if you need our support, we are a resource to you. So if there is something going on at your school, or if you're doing something amazing, or if you're reading something inclusive, or if you need somebody to stand up for your kids, right to rock their tutu, we've got your back. All right. You got everything. So we'll get all of that in the show notes too, but thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Uh, it was a pleasure. All right. Take care. Thanks. Well, first and foremost, I'd like to thank Ali for her time to do this recording because uh, after getting to know her, she has a very, very full life. I can't even express to you what it's like to sit across from her in a room and hear her speak on these topics so eloquently and with such passion. It inspired me and, you know, on every level to look more at what I'm doing myself. What I'd love for you to do is if you're looking for a place to put your donation dollars, um, especially coming up in November, the month of philanthropy, I would love you to consider G-Safe for your donation. It can be found at gsafe.org, and I'm sure every dollar helps. Also, if you'd like to talk to Ali or be part of any of her leadership training, please contact her directly because this work is important, and I've seen it make a difference in my own life for my own nephew. Thanks for listening, everyone. So, are you following your passion, inspiring people, and willing to share your story? Then find me, because that's what I do. And remember, keep up with all the news by visiting glisteningparticles.com and signing up for the newsletter where you'll get the inside scoop on where I'll be wandering next, some guest updates, and the latest random acquaintance story. For up-to-the-moment shenanigans, follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you see me post from down the road at your local diner, be sure to drop everything and come say hi, because I love to meet the listeners. Until next time, keep shining. Keep shining.